I have a, just a few things um, to say. I, um, I met Jerry and Alan about a year ago on the HMS DeWolf in Turks and Caicos, and I was uh, blown away by their uh, humor and uh, authenticity, uh, optimism, and the quality of their work product. And uh, we've, we've been working together since, and it's like we're old pals of a lifetime. Um, and today, I, uh, and this is my first time in Newfoundland. I, now, I'm born and raised in northern New Brunswick, so there's no excuse for this being my first time here. But um, I have traveled uh, the world a bit and uh, lived and worked in four countries. And over the four decades, I have come up with observations, and I want to leave you with five of them today. It's not going to take me very long to do that. Um, I've had them printed, actually, so if you forget, you can... Uh, can I just put them on the table, perhaps, for after? Um, I do not own the truth, and I have not co-authored uh, the Bible, but there are... There are observations of mine that have come up along the way in my years of uh, experience. And it is my hope and expectation that one thing I say will resonate with you. Now, that might be something different for each person. But my hope and expectation is that one thing I say may cause you to do something differently or have you cease and desist on something you're doing or um, treat the way you're working or dealing with your professional career. And, and, and if I can succeed in that, then it's been a great success. I'm really here because Jerry promised me that um, he would take my speech and go viral. <laughs> and I'd have worldwide fame after. And, and so I asked him this afternoon how he planned on doing that. And he said, well, in St. John's, anything more than 10 is viral. So. You reach tens of people. On with the show. Okay, my first observation, ladies and gentlemen, this is called This Much I Know, lessons um, from my corporate journey. And if we could have the first... Bill Gates coined it a few years ago, and I love the phrase, busy is the new stupid. Um, about 40 years ago, I was living and working in Ottawa and at a company called Combustion Engineering, which is a large engineering company, no longer exists. And it got gobbled up along the way by uh, an even larger predator. And, uh, uh, but we had an office boy in the days when you had office boys. He would push his cart along the, 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 the various floors of the MetLife building at 99 Bank Street in Ottawa. And I would run into him and I'd say, and he was a bit of a character and his stories were always exaggerated. And, and he'd say, I'm busy, I'm awful busy. And I would suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that 40 years later, we've all caught up to Craig. Because we, we believe that unless we're besieged with text messages and emails and other forms of what I call digital confetti, that unless we are overburdened with meetings that, you know, 80% of them are useless, that somehow, somehow we're not worthy. So if you came here tonight 
and you saw someone that you hadn't seen in a while, chances are dollars to donuts, you ask them how work is and they'd say busy, really, really busy. And we're busy because of this thing and it's distraction. And I can't tell you how many people I deal with today that uh, companies I deal with that are, are, are in chaos because of the disruption caused by this technology. And so I'm gonna give you a little formula to deal with that, but. Next. Yep. We're busy because we're distracted. It has nothing to do with our own sense of self-importance. And what happens when we're busy? We're, it's, dis, it, it's disruption and chaos, correct? So far be it from me to tell a group of Newfoundlanders how a ship sinks, but I'm going to. A ship sinks in two ways, gradually and then all of a sudden. And that's the way it is in corporations as well, because, because initially the, 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 the decline is imperceptible. And if you're, and if you're not paying attention, you can lose, lose the game. So a ship sinks in two ways. Next slide, Jerry. And so here's the equation. A well-run company, in my experience, spends 20% of its time in planning. It's about tomorrow, tomorrow's products, tomorrow's services, and uh, uh, new markets for those products and services. And it spends 70% of its time in what I call operations. And operations is baking the bread and selling the bread. And 10% of its time in reactionary. And when that is skewed, the results are not pretty. But what happens today because of technological disruption is the reactionary grows. Now you may say, well, why would you have 10% reactionary? Shouldn't it be zero? Well, yeah, in a perfect world it would be, but frankly, the world is not perfect. And so if the internet blows a gasket and, and the call center goes down, you're in a reactionary mode. Or if you're waiting for a component part from Central Canada uh, to assemble something for a key customer and that's delayed because of transportation issues, you're in a reactionary mode. So what happens is the reactionary mode grows and the, in the operations side, they steal it from the planning side, so there's very little planning going on. And you're dealing with an operating environment that's being cannibalized by the reactionary. My second point to you, ladies and gentlemen, is that progress often masquerades as trouble. Um, oftentimes in, in uh, companies, as in life, uh, we deal with issues and we believe, if we're implementing change especially, that um, uh, we have to back off. And oftentimes, unless you are going east and looking for a sunset, uh, chances are your strategy is correct. Chances are you've road tested your strategy. Um, and so if that's the case, really expect pushback, because there's going to be. There's going to be pushback to your, to your, uh, to your strategy. And I, next slide, please. Just expect that pushback and stay the course. So progress often masquerades as trouble. Is my second and my third is the beautiful energy begets energy. I would suggest to you that something magical begins to happen when you take when you take action.
Something magical begins to happen when you take action. I was dealing with a friend recently who, uh, who was frustrated because she had uh, started a career search and hadn't, wasn't getting traction and her activity had slowed down. And, and I said, well, you gotta get back networking. And, uh, and, and, and she did, and, and the magical thing about it is that the activity that came about didn't come from the networking she was doing, it came from somewhere else in the universe. So energy begets energy, and something magical begins to happen when you put energy into, uh, in, 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 into, the, um, into the environment. And the other thing I would suggest to you related to that is that you, do, you don't need to feel good to get rolling. Actually, motivation follows practice. Some people think I'm gonna get motivated before I go to the gym, it doesn't work that way. You go to the gym to get motivated is my third message. And then optimism and the importance of picking your tribe. Um, I saw a lot of optimism this week in St. John's at uh, two, two conferences. Um, and there is nothing more important to economic development than a culture of optimism. Um, Many years ago, a friend of mine had been appointed uh, czar of economic development in northern New Brunswick, and um, he, had an inv he had invited an industrialist in, and he had invited all the luminaries and dignitaries of this little region to dinner. And the industrialist was, had a manufacturing facility looking to locate somewhere in the country. And it was a coup for my buddy just to be able to attract this guy. And so that night, over dinner and the drinks flowed, there was a fair bit of cynicism came out. And at one point, the industrialist says to one chap, he said, tell me about your uh, transportation system. And the guy says, oh, you wouldn't drive your car over these roads. You'd lose it. And at the end of the night, the chap went up to my buddy and he said, um, Bill, I'm sorry. It's just not gonna work. And so what I would suggest to you that with the optimism that I'm seeing and feeling on the island here is keep the naysayers at home because nothing will kill like pessimism. And related to that is what I call choose your tribe carefully. Uh, 25 years of research at Harvard University, David McClellan found that the strongest and most enduring correlation of your success was with what? It wasn't your rugged good looks. It was uh, not um, how much money daddy or mommy had. Uh, and it wasn't your math degree from Memorial University. The strongest correlation with your success was who you hung out with. So when your mother told you at seven years old not to hang out with the Watson kids, she was right, but we tend to believe that that was only for seven-year-olds because they don't have powers of discernment. I'm here to tell you that that's as equally as true for adults, seven or 70. So pick your tribe carefully um, and change your tribe. And if, um, well, I don't give divorce counseling, so I can't. That's, that's a whole other kettle of fish. I won't go there. And lastly, I want to leave you with this altruism. I go back to the uh, to my uh, initial business or uh, busy as the new stupid. 
There is an untold amount of stress and strain and anxiety and depression today in the world. And um, I was, up until the end of March, chairing NB Power, the um, energy utility in New Brunswick. And I remember a couple of years ago asking to look at the long-term disability uh, stats, and I was quite startled uh, at the number of people who were out on anxiety-related, stress-related uh, illnesses. And it's a fact that we are dealing with untold amount of anxiety and stress and depression. And so they asked His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, what the antidote to that would be, what, what, what he would recommend for the anxiety and depression in the world today. And he said altruism, do something for somebody else and it takes your mind off your own ailments. And he is right. Simon Sinek said that you go into a bookstore and there's a huge section on self-help but there's nothing for helping others. Now, actually, Newfoundlanders have this and you have this in spades. Uh, you you demonstrated it at uh, in Gander and Stephenville in uh, on on 9/11, and you demonstrated it more recently with the uh, tragedy uh, with the uh, submersible uh, off to the uh, Titanic, um, and actually in in uh, on 9/11 I was working in England. And I had two colleagues in the air coming to uh, Connecticut, to our subsidiary there. And, uh, and they were diverted to Stephendale. I remember they called in later that day and I said, Richard, there's only two things to do in Stephenville and in the winter you can't fish. <laughs> the, the, uh, the last um, story I will tell you on this one has to do uh, with paying it forward and it's all related to altruism and giving giving back. Leo Biscaglia, the great humanist and um, former professor at the University of California, I believe it was, and prolific author on issues of love and philosophy and all kinds of good things like that. Um, as a young man in the 1960s, graduated from university with a doctorate, and he decided to see a bit of the world, and so he slung a backpack over his shoulder, and he um, toured the world, and he ended up in uh, Hong Kong, and like Otis Redding in the great song in the 1960s, sitting on the dock of the bay, there he was in Hong Kong, and he was uh, approached by a small... Asian man who had a Cantonese to English dictionary. And the chap came up to him and asked him a question. And they got talking. And the gentleman, Mr. Wong, asked him where he was staying. And Leo Biscaglia said, well, he really wasn't sure he was going to try and find a youth hostel. And so the gentleman convinced him to come home with him. And so Leo Biscaglia followed the gentleman home. And he found out that he lived in a flat, a rather small flat with seven children. And for the week he stayed with him, this family gave him all they had and more. 
And as a token of his deep appreciation at the end of the week, Leo Biscaglia enrolled Mr. Wong in a English as a second language course at the American University in Hong Kong. And he came back to America and he went on with his life teaching at the University of California. And almost three years to the day, he received a package in the mail. And it was from Mr. Wong who said, uh, Dr. Biscaglia, I um, am deeply grateful and I want to inform you that my English has greatly improved. And I got a new job and I'm a teller in the bank and my family's doing great. And I'm returning the money you spent on my English course. So Buscaglia was moved to tears. I mean, you talk about character. That man had nothing. He didn't have a pot to you know what in. And, and, and here he was, he had saved up $1960. I don't know what it would have been, but it was probably a few hundred dollars. And, and, and he was returning it. So Buscaglia sat down and he wrote a letter back and he said, Mr. Wong, I, I delighted to hear from you and I'm so, so proud of what you have done and I'm delighted to hear of your job, but I, I can't accept your money. And so I am suggesting that you take it back to the dock of the bay and you find someone less well off than you are and one by one we'll change the world. So altruism is alive and well in, in Newfoundland. This is not a lecture. Um, it's a reinforcement of what you all do, I think, by nature. But it's incredibly important in today's world. Uh, it's a world of um, a bit of craziness and a bit of, uh, bit of disruption, but it's made all the better by this endearing human quality. So um, thank you for your attention and for having me. And, and this arguably has to be uh, the most beautiful view any bar in Canada would have at the foothills of Signal Hill and looking out into the Narrows. So thank you. I have uh, my five points uh, up here on the card um, and uh, enjoy the rest of our little networking event. Thank you. Thank you.